Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, welcome this morning. It is great to have you with us worshiping together. Um, I am under the weather today, so just bear with me. Hopefully my voice will hold up, hold up through uh, the message here today. It's an exciting day. We have, uh, we have baptisms that are going to be ha- uh, happening here today at the conclusion. If you are one of those in here that is getting baptized, you can go ahead and uh, get yourself ready for that, and then we will, right at the conclusion of the message, uh, go into the time of baptisms. That's always a special time in the life of the person being baptized, as well as the life of the church. Really thankful to Pastor Stephen, who who, uh, preached the past couple of weeks. It was great uh, to have him uh, speaking with us. I was gone one of the Sundays, and then last Sunday I worked and helped in children's ministry, and that was a fun time uh, to be able to be with our kids uh, last week. I would encourage you, if you've not signed up to work in ministry, that you help in children's ministry, or if that's not your thing, help in missions, if that's not your thing, help in the hospitality, help in the nursery, help on the worship team, find a place in the church that you can serve and be a part of the ministry. You know, um, while uh, while Stephen has been preaching, we did reach a milestone here at Journey that's not with him preaching, I guess, was not the milestone. Uh, the milestone that we reached was we celebrated our eighth year. Uh, eight years ago, on uh, January 12th of 2014 is when we started as a church. And it was really a stepping out in faith. We decided to start this church. It was a desire to, uh, to reach this community and really reach people who had been disenfranchised with the church or who had felt uh, like the church really had uh, let them down in different ways. We just wanted to be a place where all could come. Now, we are not by any means a perfect church whatsoever because we have people that are involved. Uh, If we can eliminate the people, maybe we would be perfect, but we can't eliminate people. It's part of what the church is, and because there are people, there's always going to be problems, as you well know in life. When there are people around, there are always problems, but we have seen incredible things happen over the eight years, and I just want to share a couple of things um, of what we have seen. One, we started with uh, a small little group. It was a, uh, a handful of people that started as a Bible study, and that Bible study grew into where we're at today. So from about, uh, about 20 people, we grew into the point that we are at today uh, over that eight-year period. We are, um, our, our average attendance is probably around 400 on a Sunday, but we have far more that are involved in shift work that are not able to be here, and we have a lot of people watching online, uh, and that uh, has been amazing over the eight years. We, uh, we bought this building. We uh, started meeting in the fire training center and we would have to set up and tear down uh, every week. Stephen and I had a trailer that we would load and unload every Sunday and we had a handful of people that would help. And uh, it was a lot of work, but it was very much worth doing that. Uh, we bought this building 
in uh, uh, July 31st of 2015, and the purchase price of this building was $1.575 million, which sounds to me like an enormous amount of money. It is an enormous amount of money. Uh, It was not only this property, but the property up on the hill, which is a rental property that we get rent from. We raised, uh, in that purchase price, we raised almost $400,000, and we put that down on this building. So our initial mortgage was right around 1.2 million, and in a uh, in a small period of time from 2015 to where we're at today, we have paid uh, that loan down by 763 thousand dollars. Just amazingly. Um, <clears throat> And amazingly, this last year, we have we, we paid down $300,000 on our loan. So right now, we are at the point of, we, we owe right around $400,000, just a hair over $400,000. We hope that in the next year, maybe year and a half, we get that paid off. And that really will open up opportunities for ministry. So if any of you, by the way, have an extra $400,000 sitting in your account, and you're just motivated to write a check, we'll take that. We really will. Okay, the, the idea is we just want to open it up to be able to then not have debt. We don't want to have debt hanging over us so that we can use the funds that come in for the purposes of God's kingdom uh, in, this, uh, in this community, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. That's our ultimate goal. We don't want to be saddled with debt. We just want to use it for God's kingdom and God's purposes to give that away. And that's what we hope to be doing. Um, over the last year, just to give you just a couple of other things, over the last year we established our elder team, which has been a phenomenal step uh, of, of leadership here at the church. Um, our elder team has, uh, has really stepped up and helped carry the load and carry the burden, and they are a phenomenal group of men that I am just really privileged to have, uh, have them as part of that elder team. By the way, guys, if you're on that elder team, would you just stand up? Uh, I don't know how many we have in here. I know De- I see Dennis. Okay, uh, we've got uh, three of the three of the five, or, or four of the five. I guess I should count myself. Are in here today. So thanks to these guys who are great leaders of the church. Let me mention a couple of other things. We we have had some staff turnover this past year. A couple of staff members resigned and stepped off of the team, but we have some new ones stepping on. We have uh, a new maintenance person, uh, Jesse, who's, I'm not going to make you stand, Jesse, because I know you wouldn't want that, but he is uh, just a blessing, a humble man wanting to serve the Lord, coming on and helping with maintenance. And then we have, starting on June 1st of this year, we have a new staff member coming in, uh, a person by the name of Grant Clark. I don't know if you know Grant. Many of you do. Uh, Grant and Terry Clark, who used to live here, they are moving back to be on staff here at the church. And Grant, if you've not met him, you will. He is a he's a tall man. He is a magnet of a man. He's a he's a magnetic personality. Everything that I uh, am not, Grant is really. I'm not a magnetic personality. I don't draw people. I'm not a hugger. Um, you know. So if you're expecting me to be a hugger. I'm not that, but Grant is, and you will get all of those needs satisfied through him, and he will come on and help in that connections area where we'll, our church is going to feel more and more connected, and I feel like that's where we're, we're lacking, and that's where we're missing, and we're going to bring him on for 
that purpose, connections and small groups, and you are going to love Grant. In fact, he's going to be here with his wife, um, I think it's February 20th, and you're going to hear him speak on that day as well. So we are excited to have that. We're excited for the direction that we are moving as a church. We think really good things are happening. We're excited to get our debt paid off and excited for more and more people to come and join and be a part of, of this. You, you know, church is... And I mentioned it's, it's tough at times because it, it's made up of people. Church is messy at times. Church is not perfect. Um, we're never meant to be perfect. We are people who are broken, who are together seeking the Lord and trying to work through the messiness of life together. And so we have grace with each other and love for each other and patience with each other. And that's really what a church takes. Um, a, a church is in many ways like a hospital. It's a place where you can come and get well. Come and get healed from whatever issues you're bringing in with you from life, whatever hurts, whatever, whatever issues and problems. You come into a church, and it's supposed to be a hospital. You get well. But a church is not only a hospital. It's also like a military base. It's a military training. You are being built up and healed so that you can go out and fight the battle and fight the war. And so when you come to church, you are coming with those two intentions. I want to come and get healed, but I also want to be equipped to go out and fight the fight, fight the battle, and go through life. And that's what the church is. The church is, a, it is more like a family than anything, a place where you can feel that sense of family, that sense of connection. Well, anyway, that said, that's where we have been in eight years. We've come through an amazing, uh, uh, we've come an amazing distance, an amazing journey that we have been on over those eight years. And I believe God is going to continue just to do more and more and more. And, And, you know, with that journey too... I should miss, mention with Pastor Stephen preaching uh, the past couple of Sundays, uh, Stephen uh, initially came on at the very beginning. Um, he had uh, never thought of, of being a worship pastor at all. I happened to be driving through City Brew, uh, getting a coffee one day through the drive through and they had a little flyer of a guy, of a guy doing an acoustic night of, wor- uh, of acoustic night of music there at City Brew, and it was his face. On this poster, his, he holding a guitar, tattoos on his arm, and for some reason, and I can't figure out why, I felt connected to that when I saw that. Um, I don't know why it was, but it was, I think, a God thing, because, I mean, look at him. You wouldn't expect him to be a worship pastor, but man, uh, I, I talked to him. I, I came, Jennifer and I came, we listened to uh, the acoustic night there at City Brew. And uh, the Lord really just put on my heart to call him or to connect with him. So I sent him a Facebook message uh, saying, you know, you don't know me. I'm starting a church. Uh, I'd love to visit with you. I don't know where you are. I didn't know where he was spiritually. I had no idea. And I sat down and visited with him and found out he was a Christian and he had a desire to do worship, but he'd never really thought of that. He was working as a coal miner at the time. And uh, anyway, the Lord just moved on his heart to join what we were doing and he has grown so immensely, and him preaching the past couple of weeks is just an example of what God can do with just raw talent and raw material, which has been amazing to see. So yeah, that is awesome. Anyway, I I love seeing what God is doing. I love reminiscing about what God has done, but let's get into the message because I need to get through the message so that we can get to our times of baptism, and I don't want to run out of time here today. 
Um, a couple weeks ago, we started a uh, just a brief series on the book of Philemon. Uh, it's a very small little short book, uh, just a handful of verses, but there's an incredible principle that really is in that book, and it's about relationships, restoring relationships. How do I restore a relationship in Christ? And I intentionally, or my intention was to only uh, spend two weeks in it. I decided to double that and spend four weeks because it seemed to hit a nerve, and there are things about forgiveness that I wanted to be able to talk about. So today, we are going to do part three, where we are going to again look at forgiveness, and then next week we will conclude this with what it means to seek uh, forgiveness or to make amends. Uh, so Hebrews 12, 14, it says this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without, no, without which no one will see the Lord. So what our goal is as believers in Christ is to seek to have peace with people in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, workplaces, whatever it may be, that we are seeking to have forgiveness, seeking to have peace, seeking to be holy as people. The two parts that we have been focusing on in this series, this brief little series, have been extending forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. And again today, we are going to look at what it means to truly extend forgiveness to someone else. There may be people in your life today that you are holding bitterness toward, grudges toward, resentment toward, that you know your relationship is not where it needs to be, it's not healthy, there's not been reconciliation in that relationship, and you know for your yourself today that you're being put on the spot to forgive, that God is putting that on your heart and your mind, that it is time to be able to let go and forgive whatever offense, hurt, issue that may be. Let's pray and let's get into this message today. Father, thank you for uh, this time that we can spend together. Thank you, Lord, for being in this place. Help us to have your heart when it comes to forgiveness. Help us to have your mind, Lord, when it comes to extending forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to deal with the hurts that we have in our lives to be able to truly forgive others who have wronged us. Father, teach us through what Jesus said, the parable that he gave. Teach us today about how we need to forgive and why forgiveness is so very important. Show us your truth, Lord, and help this truth not to be words written on a page a couple of thousand years ago. Help these to be words that are relevant to our lives and where we are at today. Father, thank you for this time that we can have together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. At the conclusion of the service, at the conclusion of the message, we're going to move into a time of baptisms. We have multiple people being baptized. I want you to go ahead, uh, if you're one of the ones getting baptized, you can go ahead and prepare yourself for that. The message is going to be short, then come back and listen, and we will uh, be ready to go with the baptisms. All right. Let's talk about forgiveness. What is, first of all, unforgiveness? I want to read something to you about unforgiveness and how unforgiveness affects us. Listen to these words. Unforgiveness is a state of emotional and mental distress that results from a delayed response in forgiving an offender. It is characterized by indignation, bitterness, and a demand for punishment or restitution. Unforgiveness creates a domino effect that negatively impacts every part of us, including our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors, our body, our spirit, and our relationships. With unforgiveness, time does not heal all wounds. In fact, time further worsens and infects, inflicts emotional pain. 
Unforgiveness is like carrying around a huge weight. The longer we carry a grudge, the heavier the burden becomes. In the absence of a timely response, the roots of unforgiveness only go deeper, further entangling us in some feeding on unforgiveness is toxic. Can that relate to any of you? It's like a backpack, a burden that I'm carrying on my back, a burden that I'm carrying on my shoulders, a weight that is weighing me down because I have been unwilling to forgive and let go of the grudge and to let go of the resentment, the things in my life that I need to let go of. Really, that is the ultimate story of what the little book of Philemon is all about. Philemon was a man who lived in an area called Colossae. We have the book of Colossians that was written to the group that was there in Colossae. Philemon had become a Christian. He had a church in his home. Most likely he was the leader of that church, the pastor of that small home church there in the place of Colossae. Philemon had a servant who worked in his house. He was indebted to Philemon. Who knows why that was? Most often it was because of debt. People were in debt. They were sold into slavery. Not only them, but their spouse and their children as well. Somehow he had gotten himself into debt or he was born into that system and he was a slave because of that. Well, uh, this slave of Philemon, was, his name was Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from home. He left Colossae, left the work there with Philemon, and he ran to Rome. In Rome, Onesimus encountered Paul. And in Rome, through this encounter with Paul, Onesimus got right with God. He gave his heart to the Lord. He accepted Jesus as Savior. And Paul talked to Onesimus and said, now that you've gotten right, you need to go back and you need to make amends with Philemon, who you left. When you make amends, you can restore and reconcile your relationship. So Onesimus had to swallow his pride and go back to Philemon and ask for forgiveness. Philemon had to swallow his pride and actually extend forgiveness to somebody who had wronged him. Here's the story in just a few verses, verses 8 through 16 out of Philemon. Paul writes these words, therefore, Philemon Though I have plenty of boldness in Messiah to order you to do what's right, yet for love's sake I appeal to you instead. I, Paul, am an old man and now also a prisoner belonging to Messiah Jesus. I beg you for my child Onesimus, for whom I became a spiritual father while in chains. He was once useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I really wanted to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might serve with me while I'm in chains for the good news. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your goodness wouldn't be by force, but by free will. For perhaps he was separated from you for a while in order that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but even more so to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I want your relationship, he's saying, to be reconciled. That you're no longer 
estranged, but now you are connected. You're no longer enemies, but now you're friends. I want you to be reconciled, Paul is saying. I want Onesimus to humble himself and go to you and make amends. And Philemon, I want you to humble yourself and forgive somebody who has ultimately wronged you. Has anybody in your life wronged you? Are you holding a grudge against anybody? Do you have unforgiveness in your heart towards any person or any group or any uh, anybody who has offended you? Maybe they have, they have hurt you in a way and you feel rightly justified in the fact that you're unforgiving them because it was a legitimate pain that they inflicted upon you. Yet at the same time, we are still called to forgive those who have wronged us. Today, I want to look at a parable that Jesus told out of Matthew chapter 18. This parable that Jesus told is a story and a picture of what forgiveness is and why we are to forgive and what happens to us when we aren't willing to forgive. There are four principles in this story that Jesus is going to tell in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. I'm going to go through those with you today. I want to start this whole thing by sharing with you principle number one when it comes to forgiveness. Principle number one is this, forgiveness isn't one and done. Rather, it is a part of all life. It's a part of all of our lives. Forgiveness is not one time and I am done with it and I never have to forgive again. Forgiveness is to be an ongoing, repetitive act that happens throughout the rest of my life. Even when people offend me time and time again, maybe it's the same person who has hurt me time and time again, I still have to extend forgiveness. That doesn't mean that I have a close relationship with them doesn't mean that I will ever trust them again. Doesn't mean that I'm going to put myself into that situation again, but I am still called in my heart to forgive those who have wronged me. And there is not a time limit on this. There's not a cap on this for the number of times that it happens. Now, why do I make a statement like this? Because this is what Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, Peter came up to Jesus. They were having a conversation. It says this, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Master, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, now what is Peter doing? Let me set the stage for you so you can understand a little bit of the context of this. In Jewish culture and in Jewish law, there was a law that said you only have to forgive three times. If you have forgiven three times, they still keep doing the same act, that there are no further efforts that are needed at reconciliation. In Jewish culture, it was understood then that you have three strikes and you're out, and that's it. Peter thought he was doing something exceptional. He came to Jesus and didn't say the number three Peter said the number seven. What did he do? He took the number three, he doubled it, and then he added another one on for good measure. And he was expecting Jesus to pat him on the back and say, great, Peter. You understand, Peter. You're so spiritual, Peter. Awesome. I'm so proud of you, Peter. So he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? How about seven? Isn't seven perfect? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, that's kind of a harsh no. It's kind of one of the no's that you get to your kid when they're doing something wrong. No. No. Not up to seven times. I tell you, 70 times seven. 
So what is Jesus saying? Is he saying you have a cap, you have a limit, you need to get a little notebook, keep it in your pocket, make a little tick mark every time you have forgiven. Once you reach the 490, then you're done. Your hands are clean, you can wash them and go on with your life, never having to forgive again. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know it's not what he's saying. He is giving a number, he's just throwing a number out there, seven times 70, 490, no, that's not the number. It's you forgive, unlimited. You keep forgiving. There is no cap on this. It's not one and done. It's not I have forgiven and I can wash my hands. It is you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving. And that is the principle that Jesus is sharing. Why is Jesus sharing that principle? Because of principle number two. Principle number two is this. God has forgiven me a debt that I could never repay. An amazing thing happens. God has forgiven me a debt that I can never possibly repay. If God applied the same principles that we do on people, that, he, that we do for people, if he applied them toward us, we would have absolutely no hope. Would you want God to say to you, three strikes and you're out? Would you want God to say to you, I will forgive you, three things and then it's over or would you rather God have this principle I will forgive 70 times 7 I will keep forgiving and I will keep forgiving because people need to be forgiven Jesus in his death on the cross offered to us forgiveness that I could never repay he forgave a debt that I could never handle how do I know that to be true because of the rest of the story let's look at the rest of the story Jesus says, after he says to Peter, forgive 70 times seven, he says this. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven. Now, now I want you to notice that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. What he is doing here is he is making this a kingdom principle. This is not gonna be about a a master and a slave and money. This is a kingdom principle. This is not something that only happened a couple thousand years ago. This is active and present in our lives today. This is a kingdom principle of how life is to work and how life will operate. He says, the kingdom of heaven is just like this. It can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle up, a man was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is 10,000 talents? What is that the equivalent of? Well, let me do the math for you. I'm gonna put it in today's dollars so that you can understand what Jesus was saying. Again, this is a principle. This is not a a dollar figure, but it it relates to money. So it's important to understand. What is a what what is 10,000 talents? So first the question is what is a talent? Well a talent is made up of what's called denarii or denarius, denarii. Denarii there are 6,000 denarii in one talent. Okay, that's great, but what is a denarii? What is a denarii worth? One denarii was the equivalent of one day's wage in that culture. One day's wage equals one denarii. Let's put it into modern terms. Let's use this example. Let's say your average annual income is $65,000. It's just simple math. Uh, Some of you are going to earn way more than that. Some of you are going to earn less than that. But let's just use this for argument's sake. 
$65,000 annual income. What does that amount to? It amounts to a day's wage being $250. If you make $65,000 a year, one day's wage for you is $250. Okay, you follow me so far. One denarii is worth $250. What that equates to, then, if you multiply one denarii times 6,000 in order to equal one talent, $250 a day times 6,000 is 20 years worth of work. And that amount comes out to $1.3 million over 20 years. That's a talent. Denarii, 250 a talent, $1.3 million. How much does he owe? 10,000 talents. What is that equivalent to? Well, that in today's terms, according to the scenario I just gave you, is about $13 billion. So what is he saying? On your salary of $65,000, you have gotten yourself into $13 billion worth of debt. Now, I don't know how you got yourself into that kind of debt. Gambling addiction, maybe, I don't know. Uh, betting on, uh, you know, whatever investment, derivative markets that you're in. Somehow you got cryptocurrency. One day you were worth $13 billion, the next you're in debt, $13 billion. I don't know how it's going. Somehow you got yourself into that kind of debt. That's what Jesus is saying. A man came to him who was just an average person who had gotten himself into $13 billion worth of debt. That's not insignificant. That's a pretty significant amount of money. If, uh, by the way, if you can have debt like that or if you have that kind of income, come and, come and pay off our church loan if you would do that, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Look, a guy was brought before the king. He owed him $13 billion. But since he didn't have the money to repay... His master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Then the slave fell on his knees and begged him, saying, be patient with me and I'll repay you everything. And the master of that slave, filled with compassion, released him and forgave the debt. This is an amazing picture. $13 billion is owed, and the king says, I will forgive you all of that debt. Now, this is a kingdom principle. This has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with a master and a slave. It has everything to do with God and you and the debt that we owe God because of our sin. That's what it has to do with. And so I have an example of this. Chris, uh, Chris are you in here? Chris Hunter? He has abandoned me in my time of need. We're, we're, okay, so Chris is not, oh, Chris is here, thank you. Um, thank you, Chris. Okay, so Chris is our youth pastor. Uh, Stephen was talking too much. Um, <clears throat> all right, good excuse. So I, I want you to picture it this way. Chris is wearing a backpack. And you didn't know this, but did you know that every one of you individually, invisibly, are wearing a backpack? You didn't know this. I know you have to go to seminary to learn little truths of, uh, like this, but 
you're wearing an invisible backpack. Now, inside the backpack goes every sin ever committed by Chris throughout his life. So I've got some weights up here, and I'm going to uh, use some examples of things that maybe Chris has done in his life and the sins that would go in his backpack. So let's say from a young age that Chris, Chris at some point in time, he lied. Um, I don't know. Did you ever lie, Chris, uh, as a kid? No, I am sure you never did. Uh, that's a lie. So we're going to throw a, we're going to throw all of them in there because of that. So that is that he lied right there in church in front of everyone. That's a sin. He has lied. Okay. So have you ever have you ever done things like this? Have you ever um, uh, have you ever stolen as a kid? Do you ever take candy that didn't belong to you? Take a toy from another kid's house that didn't? If you did, the the weight just keeps piling on. And so maybe as maybe you took office supplies, you know, maybe you took uh, maybe you took um, something in high school or junior high that didn't belong to you, and so lying that goes into the bag. Maybe in life you have coveted, you've wanted something that is not yours, and so you have done that. Maybe you've taken the Lord's name in vain, so you've committed sin that way. Maybe. Perhaps, and I, I, I know, you know, you got into an argument perhaps with your wife, and I know it was your fault. Uh, it's no doubt about that. So we'll put that in there. Have you ever lusted? Have you ever done that? Uh, if that's ever been in there, have you, ever, have you ever hated somebody so much in your heart that you've wanted to see them? You wouldn't care if they died. You know, we'll throw that in there as well. Sins that are committed by you. Is that getting a little, little heavy? A little bit heavy. Okay, we'll throw one more in there. Um, so if I said to Chris, now you have to walk around the building until the sun goes down. You just keep walking around the building. So I'm going to stop. It's going to bury him because this weight is such a burden. And God comes along and says, with compassion, that I will remove this from you. I, I, well, I put in more weights because... Um, <laughs> I was going to use Stephen, but I don't think Stephen could have handled one of those weights. He's, he's not in here right now, so. <clears throat> the point is this. The heavy burden of sin is so heavy that we are hopeless. We owe, in terms of sin, $13 billion. That's what we owe God. We have done what is evil in his sight. We have offended God. We have gone against God and we owe him 13 billion, but I only make 65,000 a year. I can never pay this back. And God looks at me with compassion and he takes the burden off and he forgives the debt. See, that's what grace is. That's what grace means. That's what the mercy of God is. That's what the forgiveness of God is. We owe God a tremendous debt, and he takes the burden off of us, and he forgives us the debt that we can never possibly repay. When you were forgiven by God, that's what he forgave of you, a debt that could never possibly be repaid. That goes to principle number three. And principle number three is this. God expects me to forgive others the way he forgave me. I have lifted a $13 billion debt off your shoulders. Now I expect you to do the same with others. Jesus goes on to explain this parable further. The man was forgiven the debt 
Now that slave, who had just been given, forgiven 13 billion, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. What is 100 denarii? Remember what the equation is. One denarii is $250 in our equation. It's one day's wage. 100 denarii is $25,000. Now that is not insignificant. If $25,000 is insignificant to you, again, come help us pay off our debt, okay? It's not insignificant. It's significant to everyone. He found somebody that owed him a grand sum of $25,000. It's not insignificant. It's legitimate. It's a legitimate amount of money. But again, this is not about money. This is about a spiritual principle. People legitimately have hurt you. People legitimately have offended you by what they either did or did not do, said or did not say. They have wounded you, hurt you, done what is wrong to you. It is legitimate. It's a maybe a $25,000 amount. It's not, this is not an insignificant thing. But when you compare $13 billion to $25,000, then it becomes insignificant. You understand that? And God expects us to forgive in the same manner in which he forgave us. So it says that this slave found the one who owed him 25000 and he grabbed him and he started choking him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and kept begging him saying, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Yet he was unwilling. Instead, he went off He threw the man into prison until he paid back all he owed. Now, that picture of this is, again, this is a spiritual principle. But the picture is, God has forgiven me a tremendous debt. Maybe the problem is, I don't realize how much God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me a tremendous debt. And then I have somebody, maybe it's my wife, and she has offended me. She said something that was hurtful. She acted in a way that was hurtful. She didn't do what I was hoping she would do. And I, who have been forgiven a tremendous amount, refuse to forgive her. Maybe it's my parents. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe it's a coworker. I have been forgiven a huge amount, and they have offended me, but I won't forgive them. Do you understand this? That's the principle that he is sharing. He goes on to say this. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply distressed They went to their master, and they reported in detail all that had happened. Then summoning the first slave, his master said to him, you wicked slave, you wicked slave, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Wasn't it necessary for you also to show mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed mercy to you? Again, This is not about money. This is about spiritual issues. I forgave all of that sin, all of that offense. How dare you not forgive someone in your life in the same manner? Kind of puts into perspective about reconciliation in relationships. How dare I hold them guilty for all that has been forgiven me? Principle number four. The final one, unforgiveness has a cost for my soul. 
Jesus finishes up this parable with this statement. It says this, enraged. And again, this is the picture of the kingdom of heaven. So this is God who is king. God is enraged. Enraged, God, the master, handed him over to the torturers till he paid back all he owed. I want you to notice two words. He handed him over first to the torturers. In the Greek, uh, it's banastes, and it means tormentors. He handed him over to be tormented. Do you know that unforgiveness will torment you? I don't have to tell you that. You already know that. I would guarantee that there's at least one person in this room or one person that is watching who in the past month, you have been tormented over unforgiveness. You've laid in bed at night, you cannot sleep, and you're having reruns replay through your mind of the things that people have done that have hurt you. You're fighting the battles again. This time, maybe you fight it in a different way, but you're still fighting. It's still active. You're still being actively tormented. The picture of that essentially is imprisoned. You are imprisoned by the unforgiveness. When I do not forgive, Jesus says, hand them back over to be tortured, to be tormented. In other words, it will just continue to eat me up. I will be consumed with bitterness, resentment, rage, anger, frustration, sadness, depression. It will eat away at my soul. And it will keep doing that. And it will affect my mental state, my emotional state, my spiritual state, and it will affect my relationships, not just my, and even my physical body. My relationships will suffer. Friendships will suffer. Marriage will suffer. Kids will suffer. All because of my unwillingness to forgive. Enraged, he handed him over to the tortures. I want you to notice another thing. It says, until he paid back all he owed. Now, remember, what did he owe? $13 billion. So you know what happened? All of the debt that was taken off of him, this debt has now been put back on him. It has all been put back until he pays back all he owes. God has a principle, and the principle is forgiveness is key. Forgiveness matters. Forgiveness is important to God. If I have been forgiven, I am expected to forgive. Now, how can I say a statement like that? Because it's exactly what Jesus says in the final verse. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you. What will he do? Hand you over to be tortured and put the debt back on. Unless each of you from your hearts forgives his brother. How serious is God about this? Incredibly. God is incredibly serious about forgiveness. It is a command to the Christian in multiple places in the Bible that when you have been forgiven, you become a forgiver. That doesn't mean you trust them. It does not mean that you approve of them. It does not even mean that you have a relationship with them, but you come to the point in your own heart that you can finally forgive so that you can move on 
and it doesn't steal your peace, rob your joy, or remove the blessings of God from your life. God is serious. He is willing to forgive you everything. But he also asks that in the same manner, you be willing to forgive others as well. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, and I'm going to ask it again. Who in your life do you need to forgive? I had some questions that came up from this, and the questions were these. What about people that I didn't even know I held a grudge toward? What about people that I'm even unaware of? I, I didn't, I don't... What if, I, what if I haven't dealt with this? I would tell you that, don't even worry about that if you don't even remember it. God will put on your heart the people that you need to forgive. He's not talking about a forgiveness that I have completely forgotten about. He's talking about the one that you know and the one that you're still doing the battle with. The one that you're still holding guilty, the one that you're still resenting, the one that you're still hoping for vengeance against, that's the person he's talking about. And if you have that person in your life, you know it right now. Do you know that there are many people today, they don't know the Lord, but they are carrying around this incredibly heavy backpack. That may be you today. You're carrying around a heavy burden, a heavy backpack of sins. And you know it because God is putting it on your heart. You've been carrying it around and you're tired and you're worn out and you're exhausted from carrying it around for so long. Do you know that if you come to God with that backpack and you say to the Lord, Lord, have pity upon me, be merciful to me, do you know that God in his kindness and mercy, he will take that burden from you? See, there may be some people today that this is the first step you need to take. You've never asked Jesus to take the burden off of you. You've never said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this load that I'm carrying. Jesus, please take it off of my back, off of my shoulders. I can't do this anymore. And when you come to Jesus like that, he will forgive you. Do you know that as we move into our time of baptisms, that baptism is really a symbol of being forgiven? Do you know that baptism does not save you? It, it does not, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Baptism is the outward sign of what God has already done in your heart. God has forgiven you because you came to him with the burden and you said, I'm sick of carrying this. I can't do it anymore. And God says, in mercy and in compassion, I will remove the backpack. Baptism is an outward, visible act of what God has done. It's a picture of going from, from who I was to who I am, from being buried with Christ to coming alive in newness of life with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, it says these words in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it is not a result of works that no one may boast. It's not a work, it is the work of God in our lives. As we move into this time of baptism, remember that God has forgiven you a tremendous debt. We are to forgive others in the same way. Let's pray and then let's move into this baptism. Father, thank you that you have forgiven us a debt that we can't even fathom. This is a $13 billion debt on a, on a $65,000 salary. Lord, I pray that we would be struck with the fact that you have forgiven us so much. 
Lord, you've forgiven us more than we realize, I think, at times. I think maybe, Lord, we just need to reflect from time to time and realize just how much we have been forgiven. And if we have been forgiven this amount, help us, Lord, in response to forgive the small things, the small things that have affected us. Lord, they, they're legitimate things. They're legitimate hurts. They're legitimate pains. But Father, they're insignificant compared to what you have forgiven in our lives. Father, if there's anyone in this room who, who's never said to you, Jesus, can you please take the backpack off? I am so sick of carrying this weight. I'm so sick of walking around with this sin that is weighing me down. I need to be set free. I pray that right now, today, in this place, they would simply say to you, Lord, please have pity and compassion upon me. Please forgive me. I am sorry for what I have done. And Lord, in your kindness, in response, you will have compassion and you will lift the burden and lift the debt off of our shoulders. Father, for any that are willing to do that or any who have just done that, just confirm in their hearts that you have done so and that now you are their father and you, they are your children. Father, as we enter into this time of baptisms, may this be a special time in the life of the church and the life of the person, the believer who's being baptized, where they realize, I have trusted in you, Jesus, and I want all to know that I am yours, and I am making this public declaration as a statement of my faith in you. Father, we thank you for this time that we could share together. Now bless this time of baptisms. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.